You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. The NFL is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. That's right, folks. You just head over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promos and daily odds boosts. Plus... You can always make every game a big game with same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. I am going to be one of the co-hosts here on this podcast. Joining me for the first time, but not the last time, Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my new co-host, Shang Pang. Shang, how are you doing, man? Busy. Busy. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> you know, off-season is usually, you know, regarded as one of the times that isn't as busy for us. But with everything going on, especially with what we're going to talk about today, you've been a pretty a, a pretty busy guy, you know? So how, what's your kind of thought process of joining the, the THPN team? And are you excited to get this podcast started? Yeah, uh, definitely excited. Uh, unlike a lot of our uh, Canadian friends, I don't have a cottage to go to in the summer where I can hole up uh, after free agency. And so, uh, as you can see on San Jose Hockey now, uh, we have a regular article uh, basically every day. And so, yeah, I'm actually in the middle of one now. And uh, one I'm really excited about uh, uh, when it uh, uh, should come out uh, after we talk tonight. So I won't give it away uh, right now. Um, but yeah. Uh, and so, but I, I'm happy to have a place where I can uh, talk sharks and, you know, I'd say some of the things that uh, may not get into uh, my articles. That's awesome. And, you know, by the time people are listening to this, that article should be up. So make sure you go over to SanJoseHockeyNow.com, check out that article. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you doing? Subscribe, please. 
<laughs> All jokes aside, Shang, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the Hockey Podcast Network team. I know the debut uh, during the Prospect scrimmage game actually went bonkers. Everyone loved the announcement that we made. Uh, the excitement is at an all-time high, so we can only go down from here. So here we go. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this episode's going to be chock full. You know, most... Uh, you know, we've rebranded. Obviously, Stick Hungry's gone. Most people expect the 30 to 45-minute episodes. We're going to be jamming as much Sharks content, quality Sharks content, might I add, into these episodes. Uh, we're going to be discussing recent the recent prospect scrimmage. We're going to touch on a few players that, you know, really stood out to the both of us. And, you know, afterwards, you know, the thing that everyone really wants to listen to, we got the very special interview lined up for everyone. Doug Wilson Jr. sat down with the both of us to talk about the Sharks, including some 2021 draft talk, as well as a few of the prospects in the Sharks farm system that we saw during that prospect scrimmage. So, you know, Shang, before we get to that, let's talk about the prospect scrimmage. You, you got a, a funny note here, and the second I saw it, I laughed I laughed uncontrollably out of my chair. You know, we haven't had Sharks hockey in months, especially since they weren't a playoff team, you know. And your first note here on your thoughts is don't roster bait too hard. Hey, I wanted to say that. Don't <laughs> roster bait. prospect scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to go back to the last prospect scrimmage that we had in 2019. And in that one, Team Marchment beat Team Ricci 4-3. Uh, and let's talk about the goal scorers there. And let's talk about if any of these guys are impact NHL players at this point. Uh, the goal scorers in that game were Zach Alant, Noel mm -hmm. Brager, uh, Vladislav Kotkov, mm -hmm. <laughs> who actually played in this uh, recent prospect scrimmage. Uh, Thomas Gregor, who is now playing in Europe. Uh, Ivan Chekovic scored twice. And John Leonard scored too uh, for Team Ricci. And so... None of these guys, you know, obviously Gregor and Leonard have played a good number of NHL games, but you wouldn't say that any of these guys has yet to provide a significant NHL impact, even, you know, two years after this fact. And so let's not, you know, get ahead of ourselves and project what we saw in this game, you know, the Neo Gushin with incredible shootout goal. Um, Art, you know, Artemi uh, Konezev uh, with... Uh, a lot of points. I don't even know, even know how many. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly one prospect who played in that 2019 scrimmage, uh, Mario Ferraro, uh, provided a significant impact that same season, you know, his rookie season. And so anyway, you know, let's just, you know, let's hold our horses a little bit here. Yeah, tone down with the rosterbation. Okay, Sharks fans, <laughs> let's keep that to a minimum. You know, one of the guys that you mentioned, uh, Knyazev, or, you know, if I'm saying that correctly, he had a, a pretty significant game. He's a more offensively minded defenseman, you know, and that always, you know, the eyes get drawn to them. You know, no one's looking at the Mark Edward Vlasics. I don't want to compare him to any of the prospects, of course, but no one's looking at the defensive shutdown guy. Everyone wants to look at the person out there wheeling and dealing with the hands and the speed, like you mentioned, the goose shingle. But there's something, you know, a little bit specific about Knyazev that is different than the others. The seventh, you know, defenseman spot on the Sharks seems to be a bit of an open competition. Who do you think? Do you think Knyazev, or sorry, not Knyazev. I'm going to confuse Knyazev and Knyazev <laughs> for the rest of time. And I, I'm pretty sure everyone will relate to that as well. But do you think uh, Knyazev has a shot at that number seven spot? 
Yeah, and I got to say, too, uh, yesterday I was on the Jason Greger show. Uh, he's in uh, Edmonton, TSN. He's actually uh, Noel Greger's uh, uncle, actually. And I already made that mistake. Uh, uh, Kanayazov, uh, and uh, I have it as Kaniazev uh, <laughs> on, on my notes. So that's what I'm going to say. So it sounds like we're talking about three different defensemen here. So, But um, anyway, to, to your point, um, there are six defensemen, of course, that we can pencil into the Sharks opening night roster. Uh, Carlson, Burns, Vlasic, Ferraro, uh, Kaniazov, and Shimmick. Uh, at this moment, there's a wide open competition for number seven. Uh, that's if the Sharks don't sign a UFA, which they may well sign uh, at some point from now until the BDN training camp. But right now, though, uh, we have uh, Kaniazev, uh, Merkley, Pajnuk, uh, Hataka, uh, Jacob Megna, uh, Nicholas Molosh, and Jake Middleton. Those are your, that's literally every contender for the number one, number seven <laughs> spot that's, uh, uh, that the Sharks uh, have signed or in the Sharks organization right now. Mm hmm. I'm sure that they would love for Merkley or Pajanuk to win a job. Uh, just in, insofar as these guys are a little bit older, they have more HL experience. And so it's not going to speak well, especially to a Ryan Merkley, if a first-year first year pro like uh, Kniazev uh, beats him out uh, for the job. It's also not going to reflect well, reflect well on Pajanuk, too, uh, yeah. who made his NHL debut last year. And it's probably a disaster if a veteran like Magna, Malosh, or Middleton takes that job, uh, because we kind of know their ceilings. You know, they all these guys, those three guys can play in the NHL, but, you know, they're not uh, guys with a lot of uh, runway, a lot of potential to be much better. And so if one of those three veterans takes the jobs, then that means that the younger demon aren't that close. And so I think that's sort of uh, what to watch out for uh, with uh, uh, Kaniyazev. And uh, one name that I mentioned too, and it actually speaks to your point that you made about, you know, we are attracted to the flashy kind of offensive defenseman, which is more uh, Kaniyazev. But mm -hmm. oftentimes I think it's easier for a shutdown guy to make uh, that transition uh, to the NHL just insofar as, um, you know, his role is simpler. You know, he, you know his role is to kind of uh, shut down a... Uh, you know, obviously, obviously, he's not going to. Uh, this a younger defenseman who is asked to come in and shut down uh, NHL level competition isn't going to be asked to shut down Connor McDavid. You know, it's going to be asked to shut down third, fourth lines, and so uh, more of a shutdown guy, uh, a guy that we know that the Sharks like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, is a Santeri Hataka. And actually, uh, in our upcoming, upcoming interview uh, with uh, Doug, uh, Doug, Doug Wilson Jr. talks about uh, Hataka quite a bit. Um, so I, I think that that's one name to not forget about uh, when we talk about this competition. You know, I think it's easy to forget about Hataka because he didn't play uh, in the prospect scrimmage. Uh, he was, uh, I believe, a sixth-round pick. Uh, and so he was not a second-rounder like uh, Kaniyazev. Um, but let's not forget his name. Um, but uh, finally, uh, going back to uh, uh, Kaniyazev, uh, I spoke, and this is uh, something I wrote about a couple of days ago. I spoke with an NHL scout, uh, likes Kaniyazev a lot, uh, but sees him more as uh, number four through six defenseman long term. And so the point is, again, you know, going back to rosterbation, uh, <laughs> don't pencil Kaniyazev into the lineup quite yet. And, you know, don't give him the Calder Trophy quite yet, you know. So, uh, again, you know, <laughs> four through six defensemen, you know, can be a very useful player, but it's not anybody to, uh, you know, be jumping for joy over necessarily. Yeah, to your point about the uh, if one of the veterans takes that job, I think the biggest 
downside or disaster kind of red flag pops up for Merkley in mainly, you know, if you look at, let's say, uh, I'm going to continue just to call him Knyazev just because it looks <laughs> that way to me. If you look at Knyazev, you know, he doesn't have a whole, he's been in the juniors his whole career. You know, maybe they want to take that. And I don't know if this is an excuse. You, you might have a little bit more experience with this than I do. I don't know if this is an excuse or if this is an actual like development plan. You know, if they bury him at the seven spot in the NHL, what sort of actual development is he going to be able to do? Whereas if they put him on the AHL and bury a vet in the NHL, he'll get more playing time for the Barracuda. He'll be on the ice a little bit more. He'll be able to get adjusted slowly to that NHL speed as opposed to kind of just getting thrown in the number seven spot, going around with the team around traveling, but not getting a whole lot of time on ice. So, you know, especially with the shutdown last season, now that didn't really affect the Q. Um, but with the shutdown last season, I feel like there's an emphasis put on uh, playing time and, and time on ice and what that actually does for a player. So I feel like, that big red flag is more more shaded towards Merkley's side because he has that already. He's had that entire season down in the Barracuda to be able to develop in that Roy Sommer system. And and you know, since we're on the topic of Merkley, why not, you know, let's not why not we just, you know, just talk about him. It what is your initial thoughts? Because if I'm looking at, and, and of course we don't want to put too much into this or too much thought into this, but there were a couple of lackluster defensive plays that I saw from Ryan Merkley at the prospect scrimmage. There were also a couple of really good plays where it seemed like one of those Eric Carlson situations where he's doing everything, but there's no one around him that's going to do anything because there's a lot of camp tryouts. So what were your thoughts about Merkley in general? Well, I'm not too worried about the prospect scrimmage game. Again, you know, wouldn't put too much stock into how well somebody did or how poorly somebody did, especially in the case of Orion Merkley. I think that's a, you know, fairly low level of competition for him too. Um, and so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, that said, uh, there were very serious concerns about Merkley uh, in general, there are very serious concerns about him. Uh, besides the conditioning issues that were brought up by actually uh, Doug Wilson Jr. himself at the end of last season, and um, we spoke with Ryan Merkley about that. You know, Merkley says that you know those issues have been addressed. Uh, you know, going back to what uh, Doug said about him. At the end of last season, it was not that he came into uh, the 20, uh, 2020 21 season in bad shape, but he just came in normal shape, you know, gotcha. okay shape, normal shape. You and know, you'd expect uh, a little bit more out of a guy like that. Uh, that you that you would hope so. You would yeah. hope so. You would hope you would hope that he would be pushing himself to. Uh, yeah, the word that uh, Doug Wilson Jr. used was elite. That uh, that's what they want out of their prospects, and they weren't seeing elite conditioning from him. And it sounds like uh, at this development camp, uh, he's closer to that. Uh, he says that he's gained ten pounds of muscle. He said that last January to a training camp, That's but twenty pounds of muscle. <laughs> <laughs> but so um, it, it is possible, yeah, to to do that uh, naturally, all naturally. So um, 
I I I I talked with a with the with a fitness guy. He's a very serious fitness guy. Actually, my my buddy uh, Willie Ramirez. Uh, he actually covers the Golden Knights for the AP. But he's a very serious fitness guy. And I just asked him, like, yeah, is that possible for a guy to gain ten pounds of muscle over the summer? Um, and he said, yeah, very very much so. You know, take some discipline and whatnot, but very much so. And in the case of you know twenty pounds in uh, what is this now about eight nine months, also very possible. You know, if you're, if you're serious about it. So, yeah. um, so hopefully that means that uh, Ryan Merkley is more serious about that. But you know, beyond the conditioning issues, though, I've spoken with multiple scouts from outside the organization uh, over the last year or so about Merkley, and nobody is impressed at all with his defensive game, at least last season. And he didn't show enough offensively to make up for that. You know, mm. he scored 11 points in 31 AHL games last year. Uh, wasn't even close on the offensive front. You know, sometimes you can be so good offensively that makes up for a lot defensively. Um, yeah, and 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 both in in both cases here, offensively and defensively, uh, he was not very good, not very good, and so I think that's a more serious concern than, frankly, his his conditioning. Um, so I do think that I'm not too worried about one a one off prospect scrimmage game, but the rookie and preseason games upcoming uh, next month, uh, that's going to be huge for Merkley. Um, I think overall the belief is that the offense is going to come around for him. You know he's so naturally gifted in that department but can he defend competently enough to be even you know a specialist NHL defenseman you know even if you bury a guy on the power play he still has to play you know 10 minutes of five on five a night and so Mm -hmm. you know can he handle that can he handle more you know if he can handle more then the Sharks may have something special still yeah but I think it's an open question if he can even handle you know, the a bottom pairing uh, minutes at the angel level uh, right now. You know, Shang, I've been a bit of a Ryan Merkley truther throughout my podcasting career. And the, the one thing that I've continued to preach with him has been patience. You know, a lot, it takes a lot of guys. I mean, like you said, so yourself, the, the defensive defensemen have a bit of an easier quote unquote transition. You know, they can come in and they have their job to shut things down. They're not expected to drive plays. They're not expected to do power play minutes or, or to show up and basically play so well offensively night in and night out that I wouldn't doubt that he's having a rough time transitioning to the pro scene and to the pro level of, you know, just competition in general. So me personally, I'm going to continue to preach patience for Merkley. He shows those flashes consistently that now, again, not putting up a whole lot of points down in the AHL, which is concerning. Uh, maybe he is modeling his game after Eric Carlson too much. You know, we want old <laughs> Eric Carlson, Ryan. We don't want this last year's Eric Carlson. Um but, you know, continue to run them through the development process. Each player takes a different amount of time to develop. And, you know, a, a guy who really took a little bit longer to develop is Dan Boyle. You know, a name Sharks fans could be familiar with. So have some patience with him. But like you said, these preseason games are going to have a lot of stock in them. It, it's going to be his chance to show what he's actually worth. So I'd like to see from a fan's perspective and just from – a hockey fan's perspective, not just a Sharks fan. You just want to see the best players be the best. So let's hope from for me and for Sharks fans, he can come out in these preseason games and compete for not just the seventh spot on the on the NHL team. Maybe take that sixth spot. See about kicking Redeem Shimek out of there and 
put, plugging another right-handed offensive driving defenseman on this blue line, you know, pairing with Vlasic or, or whoever it may be at that point. So let's transition a little bit more into the, you know, the, the forwards. And we can talk about a, a guy who just recently signed a contract, and maybe it was because of this prospect scrimmage, or maybe it was because of something a little different. Uh, Jasper Weatherby signed a two-year 1.685 I don't know why it was structured so weirdly. Uh, contract at 800, I think it was a performance bonuses, but uh, 842.5,000 AAV. Thoughts on him? I mean, he looked, and, and people are going to hear it in this upcoming uh, interview. Doug Wilson noted the difference between uh, like the OHL or the CHL players compared to the NCAA players, and he looked notably bigger and just ready to play. So. Yeah, I mean, in contrast to uh, uh, Ryan Merkley, um, you know, Jasper Weatherby has had all the time in a row to, you know, get himself in shape and work out. In fairness to to Merkley, you know, Merkley was in AHL last year, like not as much time to to work out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in general. And so anyway, um, according to uh, uh, Doug Wilson Jr., uh, Weatherby is in fantastic shape. Uh, he's up to 6'4", was 6'3 last year, 222 pounds, under 10% body fat. Another thing that's worth noting about uh, Weatherby, too, is that he is 23. So that's he, a big boy. Yeah, yeah. So he he's somebody that I can definitely see uh, appearing even in NHL this year. And so that's somebody to, to look out for, uh, Sharks fans. You know, he may make his NHL debut this year. Uh, like I said, uh, he's 23, uh, has an NHL-ready body. And he's a guy that I see as a bottom six center. Um, has won over 57% of his face-offs over his college career. The Sharks would love for him to bring that, you know, to the NHL level. You know, open question, of course. Uh, if he can do that, but if he can do that, if he can be an excellent big body uh, bottom six center, that's a plenty useful player. You know, Sharks got their three C, and uh, I believe it was Benino. So you know you, you can put Jasper Weatherby down there on the fourth line as a center, and that, that's a pretty big guy down there. And like you said, if he can yeah. transition those faceoff numbers over into the NHL, you don't expect him to win 57% in the NHL. Hell, you even get him close to 50, and you're smiling from ear to ear. So to be able to use him as a, like that bottom six shutdown guy for the Sharks would be amazing, honestly. Um, let's. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, I was going to say um, that... I think the 4C competition is going to be something uh, interesting uh, for the Sharks that come into training camp because everyone assumes that it's Dylan Gambrell's job to lose, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. You know, uh, Gambrell was playing 3C for the Sharks last year. Uh, he was competent defensively, at least. He didn't add much offensively. Um, but it makes sense that it's his job to lose, but... The Sharks also traded for Lane Peterson, uh, and he's he's a guy that I know they like a lot. Uh, he is not, you know, he is not waiver exempt, so he's not a guy that they just want to to send down because they may lose him. And so I think he's very much in in that competition for the four C role, and also too uh, Weatherby. Uh, even though Weatherby is not a guy that we've seen at a pro level yet, uh, from what I understand, um, you know, besides, like I said, that he has a he has a, a pro level physique, but also too that his game, you know, has taken kind of leaps and bounds at North Dakota, and so I think he's a legitimate uh, competitor for that four C role uh, coming into training camp. 
You know, Shang, when you play that many overtime periods in the uh, in the, the the NCAA, I forgot what the actual tournament is called, but he was a part of that team. I stayed up. Uh, D, I was messaging back and forth with Chris Peters about it. Um, that game for UND, and I think it was Minnesota Duluth. When you play that much, you have to be in good shape. So, you know, tip your hat there to uh, Jasper Weatherby for going through that onslaught. I think it was seven overtimes. Yeah, it was, so, it was something like that. I was watching that by the end, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here just trying not to fall asleep. I think it was actually six, so I was able to, like, wake up in and out of just of a, a weird state. Trying. I don't to think wonder. UND won that. They didn't win that game, though, right? I don't believe so. I think Duluth actually had goaltending issues, mm-hmm. and then they brought in the new goaltender, and he was lights out. I think it was, like, 5 OT. 6 OT, and then that's when uh, they scored. So, unfortunate. So, uh, but uh, back on Lane Peterson, uh, another big, I don't want to say big because, I mean, if you're using Weatherby as the benchmark, you know, six foot isn't that big. But, you know, another big young center that can compete for that 4C job. So, um, yeah, it may be his, his job to lose as far as Dylan Gambrell's job to lose. But, um, I would love to see open competitions for every single roster spot because this team is not good enough to assume anyone's actual position or roster spot per se. Yeah, absolutely. Moving into uh, the man of the hour, the guy who drew every eye to every stream on Mandolin for the Sharks, Daniel Gushin. First off, (laughs) we were both there. We watched that happen live. That was... We got got some oohs and ahs from both the both of us, but the bench was just crazy when we were there. There was like, I mean, I, you could hear the echo obviously because SAP was empty, but it was just a oh, like, it was just a bird call from the bench. What a move from Daniel Gushin in that shootout goal, honestly. Um, but interesting offensive talent, but of course, you know, much like Merkley, bit of a defensive question mark. You know what what else can he do for you? Do you have any? specific thoughts on Gushin coming out of this prospect scrimmage other than wow what a great goal well yeah I mean I think it's a uh what you brought up what else can you do for you and the contrast is a guy like uh, Ozzy Weisblatt who you know didn't pull off any move like that but Ozzy is a guy that even if he's not scoring at a higher level is still going to be able to do good things for you I think uh be it on the floor check uh be it with his defensive energy uh things of that nature and so I think that's uh where Gushin will need to add to his game you know if he's not scoring for you can Daniel Gushin help you in other ways uh at least, like I said, it, we know he can score at his junior level at the pro level. Can he help you in other ways? And I think that is still an open question for him to answer. I'd like to see him come in and uh, compete if possible. Um, the Sharks can use as much goal-scoring talent as they possibly can. Uh, but I mean, you you touched on uh, on Ozzy Weisblatt. And I just wanted to just mention something really quick, something that we've seen consistently with Ozzy that – you know, maybe it's just because we're looking for it because he was that first round pick and we have that attachment to him, much like we're going to look specifically for William Eklund things for the next five years, you know, or however long, probably for 10, maybe hopefully 15 of 100 point <laughs> seasons. But um, Ozzy continues to surround himself with members of the Sharks. He continues to put himself in the positions to, you know, not just be around them on the ice, but off the ice as well. I mean, him and Mario Ferraro went out for what looked like acai bowls the other day. I saw that one on Instagram. So I, I just want, you know, we weren't really going to touch on Ozzy a whole lot because 
he's got his bits here and there. You know, there's there's a lot that has been covered on him that people can go find elsewhere. But I just think it's very interesting. You have guys, um, you know, don't want to compare and contrast people. But Gushin, you know, he's great offensively, and he you don't really hear a lot about him being with a couple of NHL players, maybe off to the side, other than Kanijov when he was out on the old boat party afterwards. But just knowing that Ozzy is continuously putting in that work, surrounding himself with NHL caliber players, I feel like that's what you want to see from your prospects. You want them to put themselves in the position to continuously better themselves, whether it be drills on the ice or just eating habits, nutritional habits. Uh, you talked with Kanijov about it a while ago, about how he had to fix his his eating habits. Couldn't do in and out every day. He had to go and uh, get with Shemlevsky and you know figure out you know the nutritionist as well so just little intangible things like that stick out to me personally and show kind of where a guy's mentality is as opposed to maybe some other players so well i, I don't want to go too far as criticizing other players i mean yeah Ozzy was the only Sharks prospect, uh, as far as I know, who was here the entire summer working out. You know, remember, Ozzy doesn't have a place here. And so that's not an easy, uh, you know, easy thing necessarily for him to do. But he chose mm -hmm. to do it and full credit to him. But yeah. usually the prospects, you know, they develop and do a great job over the summer on, on their own. Uh, a guy like Gushin actually uh, has spent a lot of the summer just based on what I've seen on Instagram. Maybe a lot is not the right word, but he spent... You know, notice like uh, significant parts of the summer with Ivan Chekovic because they're uh, they're friends, mm. um, and so they've worked out together um, and whatnot and whatnot. And so uh, again, you know, be I, I don't want to. I think it's something where I want to give Ozzy the proper credit for staying here. Yeah, uh, and he deserves it. But I don't want to give him too much credit and also take away, you know, dock other other prospects for not choosing to to stay in San Jose because again, Ozzy was the only guy uh, who did that. And if that's your mark for a successful prospect, that means the sharks have 30 busts in their system. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> no, I was, so, just, <laughs> I was so just saying we, it in general, something to kind of point out that I noticed, you know, uh, who, I'm not a scout, you know, I'm just a podcaster sitting here talking with you about the sharks, you know, and I love what I do, but it's just something that stuck out to me personally. And I'm not going to take anything away from anyone else. But to see that or to see that work ethic for me kind of just sticks out. You're, you're yeah, doing no, a little bit extra. So I agree. Credit to I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And uh, I think the, the Sharks notice. And, uh, you know, the, this year for once, the Sharks uh, look uh, fairly deep at, at deep enough at forward that it's not going to be easy to win a job. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I, I may not be able to get Ozzy to the finish line so he can he can make camp out of uh, – out of training camp, but Ozzy is not a guy that you know. We we know all about his life story. He's not a guy to count out for sure. Exactly, he's a quote unquote pain in the ass to play against. So <laughs> can't wait to see that. Hopefully for the Sharks for the next couple of years. You know, finally we're going to transition to our next forward and our final forward that we wanted to talk about um, for a couple of reasons. One that I know of specifically, but Shang's got his own ideas of what to talk about. Uh, Adam Raska, say uh, another Czech goal scorer. Um, really quickly, what were your, you know, your thoughts on Adam? How, how do you, you know, he had his two goals. So again, we're not roster baiting here, but you know, good on him. But, um, your overall thoughts on how his dev camp has gone so far, not just the prospect scrimmage. Well, I always want to check in on beyond the scrimmage because this year also, we did not get access to the dev camp 
you know, drills, the practices, we couldn't really watch those. And so we couldn't get much of a sense of what was going on there. So just from my perspective, all we saw was the prospect scrimmage. And I don't want to trump up a guy who, you know, had one great game and then he was rotten the rest of camp because <laughs> – you know that that you know that that's not going to impress anybody, at least anybody in the Sharks. But I've heard that the Sharks are happy with his uh, overall def camp, so it doesn't matter necessarily about the goals he scored. And I think that is a, a pleasing, you know, that's a more promising sign uh, that he had a strong overall def camp. Then he, you know, stood in front of the net and scored a couple of goals there in, in you know, in, in a one-off game. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, with Raska, you know, he brings that kind of that edginess and physicality uh, that distinguishes him from the rest of the Sharks prospects and uh, the Sharks prospects up front. And so I think that that's one thing that they definitely like about him, that just that he he is a different element compared to a Gushin, an Eklund, uh, somebody like that. Yeah, he had that level of grit. It showed, I know you said we're not putting too much stock into it, but it showed he had that uh, that backhander when he was getting knocked down to the ice right in front of the goaltender there that ended up in the back of the net. But he also had a kneeing penalty <laughs> on Ryan Merkley, which, uh, you know, gave him two nice little penalty minutes in the box. And, of course, that's just, you know, he's not doing that on purpose, obviously. But that's just one of those things where that edginess, that physicality that he has to his game is showing up and, and yeah. in different ways instead of just being in the dirty areas or playing in the dirty areas around the board. So... You know, overall, I would say it was a, a pretty good prospect scrimmage. We got to see William Eklund's first goal, which was a beautiful passing from Coe as well as um, Thomas Bortolo. So just absolutely, I can't wait to see that connection for the next five to ten years in Teal. Um, but overall, if you could give just, just a, ge- a general reaction on the, the dev camp as well as the prospect scrimmage, you know, how would you personally grade it if you had a specific grade for it? Well, again, you know, I, I, we spent the beginning of this uh, podcast talking about, you know, not roster rating. But, you know, yes, I want to yes. give <laughs> actually give you guys a nice tidbit uh, to to end with here before we get over to uh, to our Doug Jr. interview. And uh, that same scout that uh, I talked to about uh, uh, Kaniyazev, he rate he rated Eklund as a top three prospect for himself. Um, he uh, had, I think it was power, then Beneers, and then Eklund. And so, Sharks fans, uh, you're not the only ones excited about William Eklund. So we'll just uh, leave it at that. Yeah, um, I think uh, I cheered pure joy and excitement uh, when we drafted William Eklund. And um, there's a little bit of a tidbit in the Doug Jr. interview that we have coming up on uh, their rankings uh, that they weren't necessarily supposed to give out. So, you know what? We've been teasing it all episode long, Shang. It's what the people are here for. We might as well just hop right into that interview right now. Joining us today is a man who has his fingerprints all over the Sharks roster. Not only is he the director of scouting for your San Jose Sharks, but he's also a man with impeccable flow. The one, the only, Doug Wilson Jr. Doug, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. I don't think my wife and daughters agree with you on my hairstyle, but it is what it is. So it's hockey hair. What can you do? Well, I got to ask you about the flow, Doug, because in January during training camp, you told me that the mullet was going to get snipped when the Sharks played their first home game of the year at SAP Center. It's six months later. It's, you know, we've had the draft and the flow is still alive. So is it here to stay? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know what? I, I made a bet with um, our scouts, unfortunately, that I, I, I lost very bad. I, I said I would uh, I'd grow my hair out until we had a full stadium at the mm-hmm. SAP Center. Oh, um, okay. I think I might have been a little bit too optimistic, but now I don't have a choice. It's, it's bad luck to cut your hair before the draft as it is. So I'm kind of stuck right now until uh, until our first home opener. and We'll see. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. Did you get any like hair care tips from Eric Carlson since he saw you were growing it out? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Eric offered me a scrunchie one time. And I was like, I don't know. If that's, <laughs> I don't know if I can pull that off. I mean, he's got great hair. I think he just cut it recently too, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, I got, I got no, I got no style with this. It just goes, it's, it's bad. <laughs> well, I like so it's it. It sort of a great. good luck charm. And uh, so is the flow responsible for William Eklund dropping to you guys? A hundred percent. There's no question. <laughs> Credit the flow. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you know, Doug, before we dive headfirst into Sharks talk, I wanted to talk a little bit more about you, you know, growing up the son of an NHL player and, and living in that limelight, so to speak, were there any cool celebrities that you got to meet growing up that other kids in your class maybe didn't get the opportunity to? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I don't really know too much else except for growing up in a hockey family, to be honest. So when I was growing up in Chicago, you know, a lot of the kids that I, I went to school with and whatnot were other other kids of um, of my dad's teammates, right? So my, my best friend growing up was Cody Brown. Uh, his dad, Keith Brown, and my dad were were D partners. Um, so really everything I remember growing up was surrounded by hockey. I think the coolest things were going to the, um, the all-star games that my dad played in. And so I'd get to be around them. One of the coolest ones ever actually was, uh, Lanny McDonald. I got to meet Lanny McDonald as a kid, uh, speaking of impeccable hair, his mustache is incredible, <laughs> but Lanny is one of the nicest human beings in all of hockey. And, um, what was so cool was I met him as a kid. I remember it. And then this past year, uh, when my dad was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame, Lanny is the one who called him. And so it was just so cool that I remembered, uh, I remembered meeting him. But uh, yeah, honestly, like my, my whole background is really just hockey. And, and my dad, not many people know this, but he was an Air Force brat. His dad was in the oh. Royal Canadian Air Force. And, uh, and so he moved around a ton as a kid. He, he grew up in Germany and London and Winnipeg and Ottawa. And uh, and then us growing up in a hockey family, it's it's kind of in our blood to move around a lot and, um, you know, travel and, and kind of be so close as a family, because when you move so much, you know, it's it's tough to keep relationships going up with friends and things like that. So, you know, I, I think that's just something that I, I always catered or, 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 you know, got along well with other people with uh, strange schedules and, and having to move a lot. Um, just that that was my background ever since I was a kid. And speaking of uh, sort of the, the, I guess, the non-hockey experience you don't have or that you do have, uh, you spent the uh, six months as an intern for the Dodgers, actually, in 2008. And so uh, first question from that is, did you take any of that experience with you to the Sharks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, I remember the hitting coach at the time was uh, Billy Miller, who played with the Giants and the Dodgers, and he was a big hockey guy. And uh, we always talked. What, what was interesting about that internship is it was it was going into their draft. Mm-hmm. So I was able to be in their draft room and see how different it is from hockey. Um, at the time in baseball, they weren't allowed to make trades uh, for the draft. You had your picks and that was it. Um, you know, they have something different in baseball where you've got a certain amount of money to sign players. Sure. So it was always strange to see like, 
that the top players on the board weren't necessarily the players that uh, that were getting drafted first, second, third overall. They had to be signed. Um, and then on top of that, guys are getting coming out of, from everywhere. It's uh, it's like junior college and high school and, and university and things like that nature. So it's it was just a different type of uh, scouting, I would say. But from that, I kind of took out like all of the background work that they do. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really pride our group on is making sure you always get all the background info, the character checks and, and things like that. And uh, uh, a cool story from from those days is that draft year that the Dodgers took a player named D. Gordon. Oh, sure. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So D's dad was Flash Gordon. Great. Yeah, Tom Gordon. Yeah. But in D's draft year, he didn't even play baseball. He played community college basketball. <laughs> so the so the video that we watched of him was really how athletic he was playing basketball mm-hmm. and then doing some baseball drills. So I, I'm sitting there as an intern and uh, no idea where this this is going to go. And they end up taking him in the fourth round. And I'm sitting there like, I thought this guy was maybe in the 30th round. Like he, he doesn't play baseball. <laughs> and uh, they took him in the fourth round and he was his rookie ball. He was not good. Like it was strikeouts after strikeouts and errors after errors. So by the end of his season, um, they had him as purely a pinch runner. Mm-hmm. So he, he must've hit like 180, but he had 30 <laughs> stolen bases. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, five years later, he led the major, the majors in a batting average and he won the batting title. And now he's right. a star player. So it's, it kind of goes back to uh, being able to get a, a lot of background intel um, seeing the athleticism of guys and then really developing and trusting your development process. So that, that always sticks with me. And I got to ask you, uh, you know, being that you were with the Dodgers in 2008, what's your favorite Manny Ramirez story? You know what? That was my last day interning. So my <laughs> last day of, of the internship was the Manny Ramirez trade. I mean, oh, wow. I with a bang right now. So it was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool. They, they were trying to explain it to me in the office, like when the Kings got Wayne Gretzky. I go, mm-hmm. I don't know. That, Wayne's pretty big. <laughs> but that's what they were trying to, trying to explain it as. So that was pretty cool. If you just put on the LA Dodgers cap right now and then with your hair, you got the the Manny Dreads kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Who's the, who was the pitcher for him? Dustin May? The one with the, oh. the big hair? The big. Oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The redhead, right? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it's with them now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And, and to, to go back to something you touched on about kind of realizing how development matters almost just as important as scouting does and you've gone on the record to say that before and i you know it's definitely seen to have been carried over into the philosophy of the sharks with how much time that the sharks put into developing their younger players um but just let's fast forward just a little bit to your own playing career so some folks may not know this but in the 2011 2012 season you actually signed with the melbourne ice of the australian ice hockey league yeah. you, your stat line was interesting to me it you had six goals 12 assists for 18 points but you racked up 88 penalty minutes in that time frame so tell us a little bit more about uh, enforcer doug and the role that you oh. played in winning the <laughs> the gold towel uh, cup yeah. for the melbourne ice no i i don't know i um <laughs> What's the best way to put my hockey experience? I was a, a, a high events player, if that makes sense. My stat line was probably a, a goal and assist, some pims and minus two. Like it was bad. So I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, 
I, I, I kind of chalk it up to a lot of uh, old fighters or scouts. And it, it's because we spent so much time on the bench that we're just watching the game. So we actually know who the good players are out there. <laughs> so I think that's kind of, that's kind of my more of my background. Like I love hockey. I, I played college hockey. I played in Sweden after that. I, I played in Australia after that. I, I played at the level I could play at and, um, and loved it. Um, so I was, I, I was more of a physical defenseman, and uh, if Nathan McKinnon was coming down on me, I know I was getting burned. So <laughs> I, I tried to probably chop or slash or hit a guy from behind, and that's where the pims get wrapped up. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. You know, I actually I took a look at the highlights for that grand finals game, and you might sell yourself a little short because you made a, a pretty good save with time ticking down in the third period. Yeah. You, yeah. you got a good clear out in front of the net there and got it all the way around and, you know, secured the W for the team. So, yeah, you had a couple of costly penalties in the second and third <laughs> there where they converted on the power play, but I feel like you paid the boys back with that one and ended up getting the W there. Yeah, as long as you take care of the D zone, the rest will figure itself out. So that's uh, that's how I would go about it. But uh, <laughs> I, I was definitely not a Brian Marchman. I wasn't that tough, but I tried my best. <laughs> and, you know, my question with that is, you know, the Stanley Cup is 35 pounds. So how heavy is the uh, Goodell uh, Cup? You know what? It's a beautiful trophy. It's in the, yeah. it's in the Hall of Fame. Right. I think uh, what 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 they tell me the Stanley Cup, the Allen Cup, and the Goodall Cup are like the three oldest cups, yep. and they so they have them all on display in Toronto. Um, so I got one of them. I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, cup is a cup, right? The bigger one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a beautiful trophy, and honestly, the hockey culture down there was 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 amazing. Our rink was brand new, it was beautiful. We sold out every game, like thirty five hundred fans. The support was great. Um, our home rink was the home of like the winter Olympic committee for, uh, for Australia. So the facilities were just stunning and, um, everyone down there was fantastic. And the, and the major sports down there are rugby and Aussie rules footy. So they just love physical contact sports and hockey fits right into that. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I might've gotten a few too many pins trying to go in with the crowd and, and get some fans, <laughs> but, um, my experience down there was amazing. I, I, I'd go back there, uh, any day. Honestly, that's that's awesome to hear. Um, let's let's kind of shift our focus a little bit over to the Sharks. So you said in 2018 that you were, and I quote, on the hook for the draft, amateur and European free agency and the value of what we give up and acquire in trades. Is that still an accurate description of your role or what else does the director of scouting title typically entail? Sure. So uh my first draft in charge was the uh, was the 2017 draft, and what what it what it elevates is that with the draft and with development, I don't know how all the other NHL teams do it, but we're so fortunate to have you know Tim Burke running our player development, and Burke and I work hand in hand. That uh, it's not something where you can just draft a player and then just hope that he works out you know four or five years later. Uh, we just we take so much stock in our development and try and get to know players um, better than anyone. That's kind of our competitive advantage is building out our relationships, trying to stay in contact with the players, et cetera. So um, from my perspective, what I would say my biggest role is, is, is it's not just um, uh, making the draft picks or recommending the draft picks. It's it's really taking the recently drafted players and making sure they have everything possible to succeed. Um, you know, we. We try and challenge them. We, we go to all their games. We send them books to read. We send them video clips. So, um, 
leading up to uh, this upcoming season, we've already sent out video clips to all of our draft eligible players uh, or uh, recently drafted players for, you know, guys for them to watch and take in. So it's, it's, uh, it's an everyday thing. I'd say every week I talk to our last two or three rounds worth of, or last two or three years worth of players. And then they get passed on uh, to the American League and player development coaches after that. And then they get passed on to the NHL from that. So it's just kind of that way everyone always knows, um, you know, the relationship and the background on players. So we, we just take a lot of pride in getting to know um, all of our guys. So are you sort of the Sharks' point of contact before they, you know, the the the, the prospect gets to Roy uh, with the with the Barracuda? That's yep. fair to say. Yeah. So we we do a lot of stuff by position. So um, you know, our defensemen and our forwards and our goalies. We obviously have Brian Marchman, Evgeny Nabokov, Mike Ricci, uh, John McCarthy, and so I try and stay in contact with all of our players who are not playing within the NHL and AHL. And then once they graduate into the AHL, you know, they get handed off to those guys. Um, but at least it's more seamless that way. Um, so for the most part, the guys that I would be talking to the most would be, you know, the last three years worth of drafts. And then um, a couple of those guys are now graduating. So Artemi Niazov and Dylan Hamilek will turn pro for the first time this year. So they've been handed off to J-Mac and Roy. And um, I can focus on the last uh, last two years now. Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, speaking of 2017, um, you know, as a de- demarcation point, uh, you know, since then, you know, we've seen the Sharks uh, maybe staying away from, you know, bigger defensemen who have skating issues. Uh, maybe the Sharks have had a greater willingness to pick small forwards. Uh, also, since 2017, the Sharks are tied with Toronto and Carolina for uh, most Russians drafted. You know, so are these kind of accurate observations of things that are going on? Uh, coincidence, you can't talk about it or just sign of the times? Um. You know what? I think I think we're always trying to evolve. I mean, uh, Tim Burke is phenomenal. He he stays up to date with everything that's going on. A lot of the stuff he he does from the development side is pretty cutting edge. But I think you know what you mentioned, for example, with the Russians, we we hired a new Russian scout um, three years ago, and he's been fantastic. We hired a new Finnish scout. A uh, couple funny stories on Tommy, but uh, we hired him and. And he's got a good relationship with the Russian players as well. So I think maybe that was more of a comfort level of getting to know the players better uh, from that perspective. And then, you know, obviously, uh, when you change draft philosophies or strategies, the game is always evolving and, and different attributes are always evolving. So I'd like to just try and stay ahead of that and, you know, maybe in front of that. Um, but, you know, from my own personal experience, I was a I was a pretty decent backward skater, but lateral i wasn't great and i got burned all the time so maybe it's just you know, for defense and i'm like man it would have been so much easier if i was a good skater so i uh i just i gravitate towards good skating defensemen and uh, so far it's worked out so safe to say you wouldn't have drafted yourself to the sharks absolutely not with a bust <laughs> i had to ask you uh you mentioned no, uh, i did, I did yeah. actually get traded for a sharks drafted defenseman one time that was did tough. you <laughs> yeah, in juniors, I got uh, traded from the Chicago Steel to the Lincoln Stars. Oh, okay. And I got traded for Christian Jensen, who was a uh, ninth-round slow-skating defenseman for the yep. Stars. So <laughs> I, I remember laughing. I called Tim Burke. I go, Berkey, I'm not sure if this kid's going to work out because I just got traded for him, and I'm not good. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> but uh, speaking of of, <laughs> of 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 Tim Burke, um, you know, you mentioned, and you know, you may not be able to say much about this, but you know, I I was uh, uh, it piqued my interest when you said Tim Burke and you know the cutting edge stuff he's doing, and just the perception Tim, you know, being around since 1991 with the Sharks, right? Like that's not uh, uh, wrong or right. That's not like the the first word association that that you might think of with Tim. So can you say anything more about that? Because that just you know that just seems really interesting to me. Yeah, Tim Burke is unbelievable. Uh, what people don't realize is, is Burke has a photographic memory, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. Like I'm, I'm not anywhere close to him in regards to, uh, you know, remembering historical players and systems and tactics that worked before. And you know, things are always run in a cycle, right? Like something that is innovative now was probably innovative 20 years ago, and then it got dropped. Um, right. You know. Uh, I'll give you an example, the power play five years ago, no team was doing a drop pass entry. Now sure. everyone's doing a drop pass entry. And now we're trying to move beyond that and and, uh, and improve again to, to get into the zone even faster. And uh, Tim Burke kind of leads that uh, research and development on our side because his, his memory is so good that mm-hmm. he remembers all of the times that when it did work and when it didn't work and, and things like that. So Berkey, he always has a smile on his face when he's on the ice teaching, coaching, um, I can't tell you the countless number of players we've had who who have never met Berkey before, then are extremely intimidated, then realize that all he's doing is helping uh, helping their careers and trying to make them the best players. So, you know, historically, uh, when Berkey was running the draft, we had a lot of late round draft picks make the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think it's because Berkey always told me you treat every player you draft like they were the first pick overall. And um, and it's it's something that's always stuck with me. And I'm. You know, anyone who who knows me well knows that Tim Burke is one of my best friends. He was a groomsman in my wedding, and uh, I owe, I owe a lot to him. So um, I'm just very thankful that we we still we still have Berkey. <laughs> yeah, I know absolutely. And you know, uh, speaking of sort of the the cutting edge uh, kind of things, you know, I know that you can't reveal the next market inefficiency because that's obviously you know stuff that you're looking into. You guys are looking into, but you know, is it fair to say that drafting OHLers uh, this 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 in this draft was a marketing inefficiency that you guys targeted? You know, uh, with of course the OHL not playing and maybe teams were hesitant to pick guys with no game action. Uh, and I say that because nobody drafted more OHLers than the Sharks in. Uh, 2021. Yeah, I mean, the, the draft is over and hopefully we don't have to deal with that type of situation ever again. Right. So I, I don't mind mm-hmm. discussing it. Um, I do think that a competitive advantage for us was that we have Brian Marchman and Robbie mm-hmm. Grillo, and they know the OHL better than anyone. Um, my own you know, personal philosophy on it is that when you get major junior players coming into your camp and when you get college players coming into your camp, the college players tend to be more physically ready because they barely travel for games and they get to uh, work out Monday to Thursday. And then they just right. have a small bus ride for, you know, 35 games a season. Whereas major junior players, they play 70, 80 games. They're on the bus all over the place. They barely get to practice and they barely get to work out. So this was the first and hopefully only year where there was no OHL. So a lot of the players that we followed up with and interviewed and liked, they took the opportunity this past season um, to really get into the gym all the time and to watch a ton of video and really develop and mature. And that's not something they would have been able to do throughout the season. So, you know, when we, when we look into drafting Max McHugh, who didn't play at all. And uh, the year prior, he was the London Knights third, fourth line center playing mm-hmm. four or five minutes a night. Well, now we're getting to Max McHugh who just gained 15 pounds, who his explosion looks way better. Um, the video work that he did, how he explained uh, to myself, 
um, you know, different situations on the ice through video sessions. I mean, mm-hmm. you can tell that these players developed a lot. And I just I, I saw it as an opportunity that, you know, if Max McHugh or Artem Guriev or, or Benny Goodrow had played this year, they all probably would have been second, third uh, round picks. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's historically what the what the London Knights third line center is, you know, Chris Tierney, Alex Formanton, um, Luke Evangelista, those types of guys, they all went in the second round. So, you know, for us, I think it was a little bit of an inefficiency, but, you know, we didn't want to put so much weight on that, that they jumped over other players. Um, But we obviously were not scared to draft OHLers this year. And um, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited to watch them this year. We'll have six players in that league this season. Yeah. Staying on the, uh, on the topic of this year's draft, Let's let's talk a little bit about William Eklund and in the FaceTime with him, I believe you were you, you told him you were very surprised that he dropped down to seven and you were just excited and, and just yeah. couldn't be happier that he fell to you. Is there a way that you could put a percentage number on how likely you thought that Eklund would have dropped to seven, maybe like 10 or 20 percent? Yeah, I, I don't want to go into that because that, that's yeah. part of our um, drafting strategy and our, our mm-hmm. intel. But what I would say is that. Uh, <laughs> Going into this year's draft at seven, I knew that we were going to get a good player and we prepped and and had our list of guys. Um, But above that, there were players that, hey, if this guy drops, it's a no brainer. And uh, William was that player. So I think we we were very excited about the player we were going to get at seven. And and those guys went around there. Um, But when William dropped, I I don't think I can even say what my reaction was in the draft room. So who knows? uh, who knows where it goes with William? He's got a lot of work to do going going ahead, but you you can only work with the information you have at the time. And uh, yeah. yeah, I was so excited to get him. It is it was unbelievable. It was really really big for our organization. Not sure if you're allowed to tell me, but was there a team specifically ahead of you that you were kind of a little bit more worried about possibly grabbing William? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I didn't think that there was a chance he was getting through that alleyway of Columbus and Detroit at five six. Mm. Um, you know, Columbus has a, a finished general manager who does a very good job. Uh, Steve Eiserman is, is unbelievable. And he just, he keeps everything so tight. You never know, but they draft a lot of Swedish players. Um, once Mason McTavish went to Anaheim at three, we thought there might be an opportunity, but I never thought he was getting past five or six. Having said that the players that win at five and six are also good players. So, you know, they had to make decisions for their own organizations. Um, but when, uh, when Detroit's pick went at six, um, our room had a pretty pretty good response and uh, <laughs> ran ran to the podium and picked him before anything could change. <laughs> uh, one thing uh, that I was surprised about in uh, your post draft availability, uh, I was surprised that you uh, you mentioned that the Sharks had uh, Matthew Beneers as number one on your list. <laughs> I'm just wondering, you know, be honest, was that an accident? It was a long day. Um, <laughs> lots of it's still telling more than I, I, I expected. So, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It is what it is. It, I, I can't hide it. I can't hide it at this point. I was just, I was so excited that we got William. Uh, it was a long day, and I think, I think, I don't even think I said his full name. I think I said Maddie, and then I go, oh no. But <laughs> it's what it is. I'll own it. Um, and you know, it's good, good for, good for Maddie. He's a hell of a player. I'm, yeah. I'm not thrilled yeah. that he's in our division. Um, but, uh, he, he's awesome. Obviously got to see him a ton with, uh, with Thomas Bordolo there at Michigan. Um, so 
Yeah, it, every every team has their own board, and it's nothing against the guy who went number one. The the player who went number one is also a very good sure, player. Sure, of course. Every single team has their own board and how they do it. And um, yeah, we had we had Maddie one and and William two. So if if we had the first pick overall, we were taking Maddie. If we had the mm-hmm. second pick overall, we were taking William. So uh, I'll own it. <laughs> Did you get teased uh, afterwards by by Tim or <laughs> or Doug or? <laughs> it was a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone understood, right? Okay, I, yeah. I got you. I got you. Uh, yeah, dipping into something a little more, uh, uh, I guess, uh, serious with the draft, you know, 2012, when you, you know, started uh, working with the Sharks, you know, that's a pre-Twitter, you know, well before, you know, Me Too. And, you know, we've had the the recent, you know, controversial picks of Mitchell Miller and Logan Malloy. And you've stated that Malloy was not, you know, was on the Sharks D&D list. But, you know, you've alluded to this. So I'm just curious, uh, like, as a big picture question, uh, how have background checks, you know, how, how much has that changed? from uh from when you joined the sharks in 2012 to now you know just how much how deeper are you going into it and obviously with social media and all that stuff being a presence now yeah it's huge i mean even even if you want to go towards the more positive stories of players i think a lot of the players that we've had success with were very strong character players um you know i think my first draft in charge, we took Josh Norris and Mario Ferraro in the first and second round. And I think people thought we overdrafted them. And in fact, Mario Ferraro's agent even told me, he's like, oh, I didn't think he was going to go that high. But, but people <laughs> don't realize we um, we didn't have a third round pick. Yeah. And I, I, I told our scouts at the time, I'm not leaving this draft floor without Mario Ferraro. So I, <laughs> I, I don't care. And um, and Josh and Mario, they're two, they're two players on a very small list um, that I have in, in my small scouting history who they just, you, you gravitate towards them. They're, mm-hmm. they're hockey players. They're amazing human beings. They're characters through the roof. Uh, those are the people you want in your locker room. And obviously you guys are seeing, you guys are seeing now with Mario, what we sure. saw with him when he was 17 and 18. And um, we always say, if, if you can find players that fit that type of mold, that type of character through your checks, you have to do whatever you can to go get them. So it, it doesn't matter where you draft them, as long as they're a shark by the end of the draft. Um, so, you know, for us, we've always really looked into character checks. Obviously, with social media, things have um, maybe escalated even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is something we've always prided on, prided um, amongst ourselves with, you know, Joe Pavelski in the seventh round, Tommy Wingles, uh, Jason Demers, um, Justin Braun. I mean, those guys were drafted late, but half the reason why they succeeded is because of their character and, and how big a hockey rats they are. So, um, you know, that, that plays a huge portion for us. And, and maybe sometimes we overdraft players because of it, but you know, if, if you can get a Mario Ferraro from it or, uh, or Temi Niazza from it, you know, it works out. And I guess specifically on that point, you know, uh, I guess, has there been more resources put into uh, background checks now as opposed to, say, 2012? Oh, absolutely. Um, it used to be a lot of scavenger work. I mean, we'd mm-hmm. be calling, I remember with Mario and Josh, I called their teachers, uh, called their <laughs> billet families, yeah. I talked yeah. to their old coaches, because if you're going to talk to, uh, you know, their direct coach that season, I mean, Right, they're not going to trash a kid. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have to just keep doing some more work. I think now uh, things are a little bit more escalated with social media and and the internet, and it is what it is, and you just have to keep um, elevating. So, you know, this year, especially with with the players we drafted that didn't even play this season, um, 
you know, we just had to do even more background checks. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the players who don't get drafted or the, a lot of the players who we don't draft, I mean, there's 224 players who get drafted and we only got eight or nine of them. The background work has to be done on them as well. Uh, mm-hmm. sure. so when, in the future, if it comes up for a trade or free agency or anything like that. So it's, um, it's just, it's extensive the amount of work that we do on the background checks. It's, it's so important. Kind of staying on topic with uh, the likes of the younger players that you've invested in, like Mario Ferraro, both he and Nikolai Knizhov have taken that those, those bigger roles on with pride these last couple seasons. So moving into the next season, are there any defensemen in the Sharks system that maybe we happen to be sleeping on? You know, you, that, uh, you know guys that you know that the average fan wouldn't right now? Um, I think Nicky Nishoff is a great example. Um, obviously, no one knew him. And when you look at his background, he was waived through Major Junior. He played in the North American League. Like, it's not your everyday story of this guy uh, coming in. But his mm-hmm. his personality and his work ethic and things of like that is really what's gotten, gotten him to that point. Um, I think you'll see a trend with the recent defensemen we've brought in. Uh, character-wise, when you start interviewing them. So when you start interviewing Mario Ferraro and uh, Nikki Nishoff, Brinson Pashnuk, Santori Hitaka, Artemi Niazev, um, plus the D this year, I think you'll start to notice a trend in their personalities. Um, it's just something that we gravitate towards. So, you know, it, probably not for this season, but maybe in the future. Uh, I think a defenseman that uh, fans should be excited about is Santori Hitaka. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, he plays hockey the right way. He's an unbelievable skater. And he just takes pride in shutting down, you know, top opponents. And um, I, I really like those types of defensemen because it's it's they're kind of like offensive guards in the NFL, right? They're they're some of the most important players on the field, and and the normal fan rarely knows their name, right? Because they're not scoring touchdowns and, and all this, but their job is next to impossible. Uh, so for me, you know, Artemi Niazev, I'm a huge fan of. Centeri uh, Hitak is is the guy you know, maybe in a couple of years um, can really mold into that shutdown D. But our, our D core right now, the young guys coming up, uh, plus, you know, Bernsey and Carlson and, and those guys, I mean, I, I really like our D for now in the future. And you alluded to, uh, you know, if we uh, look at interviews or listen to interviews with some of this, the defensemen that you drafted, like uh, Ferraro or Kanijov, you, you picked up as a free agent, uh, uh, you know, Gannon Larock and, and so on, right? Um, can you clue us in for what we're looking for, what they share, or do Sharks fans need to go back and listen to, you know, interviews no. <laughs> for all these guys? You know what? It, it, it sounds corny, but it's more of how you feel after the interview, right? Mm-hmm. So after you talk to Mario Ferraro, like, how can you not smile? I mean, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> contagious. Um, when you talk to Brinson Pashnuk, it's like, okay, where's the closest gym? I got to get in there. Um, <laughs> Artemi Niazov, unbelievable. I'll give you a story from the D that we drafted this year. Um, the two Russian defensemen we took, Artem Guriev and Evgeny Kashmikov. Mm-hmm. Artem Guriev drove every single day two hours oh, there sure, and yeah. back from Peterborough to Toronto with his dad uh, to go train. And so every time I called him, he was always in the car and his dad was driving <laughs> and he'd, he'd be FaceTiming me in the passenger seat. Um, you know, he's he's an absolute animal and he, he just loves hockey and he'll do anything for it. Uh, Gannon, Gannon is, is so strict with his with his diet and his training and uh, things of that nature. He just wants to do whatever's best um, to be a good hockey player. And then Evgeny Kashnikov, I was blown away when when we talked to him. You know, I asked him if he was watching the playoffs. 
Mm-hmm. He walked me through every single game between Montreal and Tampa Bay. He walked me through <laughs> different scenarios. He knew all mm-hmm. the players. He knew the ice times. Um, he knew how they penalty killed. And, and I'm, I was floored. Uh, you know, and then on top of that, he's, you know, 6'4", 200 pounds, and he can fly. I, I'd say Kashnikov is very similar to Nikolai Mishov mm-hmm. in how they play, um, but also how they look at games and memorize situations. So it's, you know, it's just a theme with some of the defensemen that, that I find um, – Obviously, you have to be good skaters, but it's how you feel after after you talk with them. Sure, it's it's, it's a big portion of it. Okay, and uh, yeah, for myself, uh, just a last question, kind of a, a fun one. Um, I just have a family question for you. I don't think it's uh, uh, ever been really asked. Uh, so everybody knows, of course, you know, Doug is your dad. Uh, but less talked about is that your uncle uh, Murray Wilson. He's won three Stanley Cups. So, got to ask you: Is there a sibling rivalry? You know, Doug's obviously got the Hall of Fame on his older brother, but you know, does Murray tease uh, uh, your dad about the cups? Yeah, well, Murray, Murray's great. Uh, funny story about Murray: He won the Stanley Cup four times mm-hmm. in eight seasons, and his name is spelled three different ways on the Stanley. <laughs> oh, yeah, I read that. <laughs> so I know his name is Murray Wilson. Like it really isn't. Yeah, that exactly. Hard. But what I think it's spelled like M U R Y M U R A Y, and then actually M U R R A Y. So, you know, maybe maybe the engraver was having too much fun during uh, during the Stanley Cup celebrations or something. But um, and then what's also cool is when you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, they have a replica locker room of the Montreal Canadiens uh, mm-hmm. because their dynasty was so big and. And so Murray actually has his own stall at the oh, uh, nice. Hall of Fame. So he so, is in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes, he he's literally in the Hall of Fame. So um, it, it's less of a sibling rivalry and more just competitive nature. And, and they grew up like Murray was the um, uh, color commentator for the Montreal Canadiens for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would talk to Murray um, a few years back and, and just send him video of random players and ask about the skating. Because when Murray played, he was one of the fastest skaters in the league. And he knows skating. And uh, so I'd go over some video with him and I wouldn't even tell him the kid's name. And he'd tell me, oh, you know, phenomenal form. I don't know who this is, but his, his form is lights out or, yeah. or or maybe he needs to work on some things. So um, Murray's a great guy. He was a great hockey player and uh, and really, really fast forward. So um, no rivalry, just <laughs> excited. You know, one's got cups. And they're both in the Hall of Fame, technically. So yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's honestly awesome to hear. And I think that pretty much wraps it all up on our end. We don't have anything else lined up for you. Uh, thank you again so much just for joining us here on the podcast, Doug. I personally think that I speak for Sharks fans when I say that we're very excited about this team, and we're really looking forward to just how competitive the Sharks are going to be. You know, not only this year in this season but for years to come and just how you and your team have developed and scouted players. Like you said, you're, you're investing in these guys and you're, you're committing, you know, to your research and to how they play. And, you know, we appreciate that. So, um, Shang, if you have anything else, feel free to throw it in there. No, well, no, they, nothing, nothing else to surprise Doug with. So yeah, just thanks so much <laughs> for the time, man. <laughs> no, thanks guys. It, at uh, the bottom of my heart, we're all Sharks fans, right? So I want to see success as much as you guys do. And we got a great fan base. The good thing with our fan base is you can't BS them. They, they, they're smart. So they know, they know good players when they see them. And hopefully they'll see a lot of good ones coming up here soon. Well, let yeah, me jump in here. I'm, I'm technically media, so I'm not a fan. Uh, but good Sharks teams sell subscriptions. So go Sharks. <laughs> All right. So thanks, good. Doug. Take care of yourself. Uh, stay safe. I hope everything goes well with your house again. And uh, have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. See you, Nick.
big shout out to Doug Jr. for taking time out of his day to sit down with the both of us and just chop it up about the, you know, not only his personal playing time and his, you know, his hockey career, but the Sharks, the prospects, kind of the state of the franchise, essentially. And uh, Shane, do you you think he's ever actually going to cut his hair? Well, we learned in this interview that it was because of the hair that Eklund dropped to them. And so maybe this year, Shane Wright will drop to them because of the hair. Yeah, there we go. You know, keep the flow. Hashtag it wherever you want to put it. Ladies and gentlemen, tag Doug Wilson, whatever you need to do. Hashtag keep the flow for Shane Wright. And I think that's pretty much going to do it for the debut episode of the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. Again, I'm, I'm excited to get this show started. I'm excited for preseason, for training camp, uh, for everything else to get going so we can pump out some some real good content for all of you listeners out there. Uh, really quickly, we want to shout out our social media handles because obviously everything has changed. So you can follow the San Jose Hockey Now podcast at San sorry, excuse me, at SJ Hockey Now Pod. You can follow the network at Hockey Pod Net, and you can follow myself at Nick Floor underscore Shank. Hashtag hair for right. <laughs> you can follow Shank Pang at Shang underscore Pang. That's going to do it for us all today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure you guys stay safe and stay hydrated.